Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in this holy week, we stand in the presence of mystery and wonder. We pray that you will touch us, not just with our understanding, but deep in our hearts, with the amazing facts of your death and resurrection for us. Lord, just make that so real to us that perhaps more than ever before, we will respond with love and devotion and experience your presence with us and in us in the days ahead. So Lord, teach us from your word, we pray. Amen. I wonder what we're doing here. When you think about it, it's a Thursday night. We could be in watching telly um, or eating popcorn. Um, we could be doing anything else. It's not very usual that we come to church on a Thursday evening, although we may perhaps have a home group on a Thursday evening. But Holy Week is a bit special, and it has some very, very special bits of remembering in it. It's interesting that throughout the Bible, the importance of remembering what God has done takes up an enormous amount of Bible teaching, both in the Old Testament and the New. Right from uh, the time when stones were set up to mark a particular place where something important had happened. You may remember when the children of Israel passed over the Jordan and God said to them, take some stones from the middle where I've parted the, the river for you and put them on the other side and then you'll remember that those very stones were in the middle of a river and I dried it up for you. The importance of remembering and more than just remembering, of setting up a kind of physical action, a celebration, objects, events, to help with that remembering. The Jewish people throughout history and to today are very keen, very assiduous, very disciplined in obeying those commands, obeying the command to celebrate Passover, to celebrate Shabbat on a, on a Friday evening. There were regular festivals of all kinds commanded in the Old Testament. And these weren't just a holiday. Oh, that's good, it's May Day. Let's have an excuse to have a little festival and bring out the Morris men. Um, it's actually, it was a command. God said, you will do this so that you will remember. Because God knows that we're human and we forget stuff. Goodness knows, people have even been known to forget wedding anniversaries. So... Um, we are very human, and without a, a reminder, we don't remember. And that remembering is often cast in something very concrete, things like a wedding ring, just a bit of metal, but it has a symbolic significance. In the New Testament, it seems that some of those actions developed into something even more important. They were an act of obedience, but also an act that was incredibly special. Take baptism. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. There was water for cleansing and for renewal and going down into the water for dying to the old life and coming up from the water to celebrate the new life. And this wasn't an option. It was a command because Jesus knew 
that as we do these things, they become, as it were, imprinted in our memory, in our way of being, in the routines of our living and our thinking, which help to anchor us, not just into this world, but in the eternal world in which we all live in the presence of God. So much so that the church throughout the ages has referred to some of these actions of remembering as a sacrament. Baptism is a sacrament. What does that mean? It's not magic. We're not changing someone by dunking them in the water. But somehow it's also very, very special. It's more than just blowing out the candles on a birthday cake. It's as though somewhere between the natural and the supernatural, there is the sacrament, what the Catholics call an outward and physical sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And many people will testify to the fact that when they were baptised, it was more to them than just going through a motion. It was an opportunity to open themselves afresh to God, to the infilling of his spirit, and to a renewal of their life in Christ. Now, the Last Supper, we perhaps sometimes skip over a bit because tomorrow is Good Friday, the most poignant and deep and uh, in some ways very difficult day of remembering in our Christian life as we remember that Jesus died on that cross. But the night before was so important that Jesus set it up with a degree of um, forethought. You know, he told the disciples to follow the man with the water jug and set up the upper room and, and it was all very much part of Jesus's plan. It in that meal, Jesus commanded, and it was a command, that we should do what he was doing there with his disciples in remembrance of him. Like Shabbat or Passover, this was to be a regular part of the disciples' daily life. A command, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Does anyone know what Maundy means? We've got a friend who went to get Maundy money in York today. That was exciting, wasn't it? Um, the word Maundy actually comes from a Latin word that means command because it's a, it's a, it, we get mandatory from the same word. It's to do with something which Jesus didn't say, oh, this would be nice if you think about it now and again. He said, do this in remembrance of me and it was a command. And it refers to that instruction that Jesus said that they should do regularly. And we're told, of course, in Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, all of them important. It's a sacrament. It's a remembering. It's something which is more special than just remembering. It's something that people without faith find it really hard to understand. We're not saying it's magic but it's a special time of remembering. It's a time of receiving. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus actually used food and drink to remember him by. He said, this is my body, take and eat. This is my blood, take and drink. And the very molecules, if you like, of that bread and that wine would become part of our body. We actually, it symbolically, are receiving afresh the Lord Jesus 
into our lives and we ask his spirit to come to us afresh and make that forgiveness that Jesus made possible for us on the cross more real and more able to change us. When we look at the early church, we see a number of ways in which they, as it were, experienced God, this new life which had come upon them at Pentecost and which they then took out into the world. And it was based on the word of God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And it was based on the infilling of the Spirit at Pentecost and the amazing things that they did in that power, in healing, in preaching, in changing lives. And it was also based on sacrament as they met together constantly to remember that all of this came from the cross. So Jesus deliberately initiated a celebration which could hold God's people and revitalize them in a special way. Unless we have truly realized the enormity of what Jesus suffered and why, we won't respond with appropriate repentance and gratitude and love and openness to his spirit's work in us. So the first question is this, and I have three. How do we obey that command in our own worship life? What do we build into our life that enables us to remember constantly that all that we are in Christ depends on the cross? And one of those things is this particular sacrament, which is at the heart of our worship together. Now I want you to imagine the scene. Jesus said, take this. What did they think they were taking? Take this, a piece of bread, a cup of wine. What did they think was going on? Actually, the ideas were deeply shocking. The Jews were told not to drink blood. They were told not um, to have anything to do with, uh, with the drinking of blood. And we find it very strange. I've even had um, school pupils saying to me, what's this all about people in church drinking blood? Um, you know, it sounds very deeply shocking to some people. It was also full of echoes, which, which they would have been familiar in the Passover, the wine was passed round as part of that celebration of remembering God's deliverance from their slavery in Egypt. And in this very intense moment, Jesus wasn't offering them something gross or grotesque. He was saying, drink wine. But when you drink the wine, let it be a reminder to you of who he is and what he's done and share in it Take it into yourself, pass it to one another. Rejoice in the wonder of the blood shed for our forgiveness and our redemption. The Passover would have been very familiar to them. And of course, let's not forget that the Last Supper was a Passover meal. And in it, they remembered their rescue from slavery to freedom. Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. You're going to be rescued again from slavery to freedom, not by walking out from an oppressing nation, but by walking tall in the power of the Spirit out from the oppression that Satan has wrought on the world since Eden. It's about God claiming us as his own. 
there was a tradition when I was young, and I'm quite glad that we've, we've changed it now, but that you didn't actually take communion until you'd made a public profession of faith in your confirmation. Um, and that this was then kind of a mark of your belonging. Um, I'm perfectly comfortable with the fact that we now allow our children to join in that wonderful mark of belonging. Why shouldn't they? They are part of God's family, whatever age they are. But the fact is it's very important. It's a way of saying, I belong to Jesus. And as I take this bread and I take this cup, I am proclaiming his death on my behalf until he comes again. It was also about sacrifice, of course. It would have reminded them of the blood on the doorposts um, in the uh, story of the Exodus. It was through blood that they were rescued. I wonder how much they understood that Thursday night. They must have been, their minds must have been swimming with images and partial understanding until they knew after the death and resurrection of Jesus just what it all meant. At this Passover meal, there may well have been no lamb. It might have been the day before the lambs were actually um, slaughtered. The real sacrifice, of course, was Jesus himself, who was offering himself on that cross as the Passover sacrifice. So let's just pause for a moment. I'm going to leave just a, a, a moment or two of silence. Let's focus on the cross I love it at this time of year when our simple cross reminds us not just that it is a symbol, but almost more poignantly, the crown of thorns, the label, this is the king of the Jews. Let's just think for a moment of what it cost the Holy One to die on that cross for me. Lord Jesus, this evening, I come to your table. I'm reminded again that you give me the cup and the bread and you say, take this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, without you, I am nothing. I plead for forgiveness. I receive your cleansing and eternal life. I sink deeply into your arms of love. And I say, thank you, Jesus. You have my heart and I am yours forever. And I will never forget. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as we take the Holy Communion, we look backwards to the deliverance that Christ has won for us. We look forward as we, as we live in the new covenant, recalling all that Jesus gave and won for us. We look upwards and we renew our relationship with Jesus Christ. Perhaps as we receive the bread and wine, we can recognise that Jesus comes to live afresh in our hearts by his spirit. 
There's a lovely phrase in the um, 1662 communion service which talks about us receiving all the benefits of his passion. If you want a good Friday bit of homework, how about trying to list on a piece of paper what are all the benefits of his passion, the love that he's shown us, the access to the Father, the forgiveness, the defeat of evil, the defeat of the evil one, the opening of the gate of heaven, the assurance of eternity. Yeah, I could go on, couldn't I? It's a lovely exercise to do, especially on Good Friday. What are the benefits of his passion? And we look outwards as well. It's interesting that just at this poignant moment, when Jesus was saying almost to each one of them, looking into their eyes and saying, take this, remember, never ever forget what I am going to do for you because I love you so much and it will change everything for you and for the whole world. And then he gets a, a towel, wraps it round him and starts doing a kind of servant job of washing their feet. I wonder if they thought, what on earth is he doing? He's our master, our Lord. And here he is with a towel. He's taken off his outer garment. He's put a towel around his waist. He's kneeling down before his disciples and he's washing their feet, dirty, muddy, dusty feet. And he's washing them and drying them on a towel. There's an awful lot going on there. Peter recognised one bit when he said, Lord, you're not going to do this. And Jesus said, yes, I am. Because this is the kind of God, the kind of master that I am. My love is humble and is that of a servant king. And of course, Peter didn't want any of that. And he said, I don't want you to do that. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, you won't be clean. He said, well, wash all of me then. It's quite an amusing little interchange. But Jesus says, no, this is about you being clean from your sin. And this foot washing will be symbol enough. Don't forget it. So what do we need cleansing for today? Second question. What is it that we come with that we know that we must lay before Jesus and say, Lord, take this and cleanse it by your shed blood that we might make a fresh start, forgiven and renewed. How should we be towards God? How should we be towards one another? Imagine what they felt. How did Jesus feel? In a moment, we're going to act out a little bit of that drama there are some parts of the church, particularly in, um, in Rome, for example, where foot washing is part of the celebration of the Maundy Thursday event. It's a bit tricky in Surrey in winter when we've all got socks, boots, shoes and all that sort of stuff. So we're actually going to use that symbolism in a slightly different way. We used to do it very often in the old church when we all shared a meal together. And we would come up and we would wash one another's hands. I wonder what it felt like to have Jesus wash your feet 
I wonder how he dried them. Do you think he dried them roughly and sort of, you'll do, you'll do, now the next one? Or did he carefully and tenderly dry them, looking into their eyes? I wonder how they felt. Were they embarrassed? They might have been. Jesus pours out all of himself for us and he washes our feet. What we're going to do here is that we're actually going to wash one another's hands. Um, and it's not quite the same symbolism, but it's very similar. And it's similar for all sorts of reasons. The first is it's actually quite embarrassing. We don't do that sort of thing because we're terribly British, and more than being British, we're even sorry. Um, so it's not really sort of the sort of thing we do. But you know, the disciples were embarrassed, and Jesus was humiliated in that act. And that's what he asks of us. And I wonder which is the more humble act, to wash someone else's hands and dry them carefully on a towel, or to let someone else do that for me. Both are really hard. I'm not going to insist, obviously, that anybody comes up. You don't have to. But at the end of this sermon, I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to invite you to come up and, um, and to just dip your hands into the basin and then offer them to the person in, well, the person in front, I'll be here first, and I will dry the hands of the first person, and I will then give you a towel, and you then stand here, and the next person comes up, and you dry their hands. Do you get it? And then the next person takes a towel, and, and that way everybody um, has someone else to dry their hands. Now, we used to do it with one towel. I could even tie it around my middle in those days, but of course, with COVID and all sorts, I thought we ought to be ultra-careful. So we've got some small disposable towels. They're quite soft. I assure you they won't be thrown away because they will then be washed and used by our youth and children's department for all kinds of things when children get mucky, which children do. Um, and that is a great humility, isn't it, that our lovely children and family and, and youth workers mop up young children's messes and care for them. What an act of foot washing that is. So, in a moment, that's what we're going to do, and we'll use a separate um, towel for each person, and you can drop it in there, and then I'll stick them in a hot wash. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. I have also put just a small amount of disinfectant in the water, so I think we should be safe, God willing. So that's what we're going to do. But let's, as we do it, picture Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and let's do it as an act of service to one another and an act of receiving service from one another. And so my final question before I finish with a prayer. What would it mean for me this week to be a servant? What would it mean for me to wash someone's feet? Whose feet, whose hands should I wash? Not physically, perhaps, but in what way can I humble myself in order to serve another in the name of Jesus Christ and so take his humility and his love and his self-effacing nature into all the relationships that I will have this week? So that's your third question. Let's finish with a prayer. Lord Jesus, we are just blown away at the thought of what you did for us. 
that you went to all that unjust trial and the flogging and the cross and you bore our sin and you did it in such love. Help us as we remember your death until you come to treasure the sacrament that you have given us that makes it possible to be reminded and to receive afresh your sacrifice for us. And Lord, we thank you that you did that in such love and such humility. Help us to show the same love and the same humility to all those that we meet and to symbolize that as we wash one another's hands as a sign of our commitment to live as you lived, a servant life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.